Have a good afternoon. Good. <clears throat> I want you to flip over on the back of your uh, sheet, and I want to give you a definition of God. This is all free, but I thought it might help. I think this came from Walter Martin, <clears throat> wrote a book called The Kingdom of the Cults. But I'll give you time to write this down because I think at some point it might be helpful to you. So I'll just say it slowly and you write this down. There is one God. There is one God who manifests himself In three persons. There is one God who manifests himself in three persons who are co-equal, comma, <laughs> don't have to write comma, just make one, okay? <laughs> there is one God who manifests himself in three persons who are co-equal, co-eternal, and of the same substance. There is one God who manifests himself in three persons, who are co-equal, co-eternal, and of the same substance, but distinct in function. You got that? <clears throat> there is one God who manifests himself in three persons, three persons who are co-equal, co-eternal, and of the same substance, but distinct in function. Now, when you try to define the magnificent God, I guess that's about as, as good as I've ever heard. <clears throat> okay? Okay, you got your sheet? <clears throat> All ready to go? Tonight I'm talking to you about personally discipling others, and we'll touch along many things along the way, I think. <clears throat> the first thing, as you think about trying to disciple others, is I want to talk to you about your personal life. Are you seeking to live a godly life? That's one of the first things that ought to be a characteristics of your life. Now that's on your sheet. Are you seeking to live a godly life? Deuteronomy 4.9, only take heed to thyself, okay? Only take heed to yourself, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen and the things which you've heard. So take heed to yourself. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 5.29, oh, that there was such a heart in them. God says, oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me. Keep all my commands always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And the heart of God said, oh, that you, if you would just obey me, how well it would be for you and your children forever. <clears throat> and in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, uh, but like the Holy One who calls you, be holy also in all your behavior. For as he is holy, you are to be holy. Okay? So be holy in all of your behavior. And let me encourage you to do this. You don't try to see how close you can get to sin without sinning. You know, it's kind of like if you were driving on a, on a, <clears throat> a mountain road, and I mean, right here is a cliff, and you don't see how close you can get to the edge without falling off. That's pretty stupid. If you're wise, you see how far away from the edge you can stay. And that's what we ought to do with sin. Stay as far away from it as we possibly can. 
And, you know, 1 Timothy 4, 7, we've mentioned before, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's why we try to discipline ourselves in our scripture memory and our quiet time and going to church and things like that. By the way, let me say this about church. <clears throat> why don't you decide once and for all where you're going to be on Sunday morning? You know, I know college students that have to make a decision every Saturday night where they're going to be in Sunday school or church. You know, I made that decision years ago. I may drive in, and I have gotten in from a retreat maybe at 2 o'clock or 2, 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. It's, no, it's not debatable where I'll be when it's time for Sunday school and church. I want to stay in hearing distance if God wants to say something to me. And I would encourage you to make a commitment as far as your church life is concerned, you don't have any better thing to do on Sunday morning than be in church. And uh, so just, just plan on that. <clears throat> you know, I shared with you Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the future, in the future ages, he might show forth a surpassing grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I mean, we're headed for a tremendous future when God is going to show all of his grace towards us in kindness when we get to be with him in heaven. So right now, the thing you want to do is really walk with him. You know, in Romans 8, 31, it says, uh, and what sh shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, it's not the idea that nobody can be against you, but who's going to be against you that's going to amount to anything if God's for you? And then he goes on to say in verse, the next verse, Romans 8, 32, he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for, for us all, how will he not also freely with him give us all things? Now, God's already given you the greatest gift he could possibly give you, and that's Jesus Christ. And with him, he's also going to give us all other things that we need. And he goes on to say, uh, you know, in Romans 8, uh, 33 through 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. He said, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principals, nor, nor powers, nor things, to come, things in the past, or things to come will separate us from the love of God. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of our great God. So try to live as holy and like him as you possibly can. And that's why you want to guard your tongue. We've said some things about that, and, you know, in the past, words that you say. I want to be the kind of person, and I want to be such that I would never say anything uh, in the way of uh, off-color or something that I feel like I wouldn't say if Jesus were standing right in front of me. So watch your your language, in, in every way you can. Your whole life, try to live in holiness. And Paul talked about in 1 Timothy 4.12, after having been with Timothy for many years, he wrote to him in, uh, in 1 Timothy 4.12, he said, let no one look down on you because you're young. You know, people oftentimes, young people, they'll come back from camp and boy, they're all excited about the Lord, but it doesn't last very long a lot of times. He said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But he said, but be an example of the believers in your word, in your manner of life, in your faith, in your love, in purity. In all of these areas, we're to set an example. So you set out in your life as a young person, because he's talking here to Timothy. We don't know how old Timothy was, but Paul considered him young, and he said, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Because even as a young person, you are to set an example in all of these areas, in words, 
in your manner of life, in your faith, in your purity, in your love. So you set out to be as godly a person as you can possibly be. Now, I want to ask you another question. Are you having a consistent quiet time? Now, remember the quiet time is the method, the principle behind that is to have fellowship with God. Are you really having fellowship with God? One of the ways, one of the great ways to do that is through the quiet time, but it's not limited to the quiet time. See, your quiet time simply kind of gets you started in the presence of the Lord. And a lot of times when I walk away from my quiet time, I walk away praying and it kind of starts my day of fellowship with God. So it's not that you have your quiet time and I'm through with God till the next morning. That's not the idea at all. It's fellowship with God. I want to have fellowship with God. So I'm going to start my day that way. And all through the day, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to pray. And by the way, let me, let me just tell you something. This may be a secret. You may have never known it. Do you know it's, it's legal to read the Bible more than once a day? I mean, you could have a quiet time. In a later time, you could have some time. You could read the Bible some more. You could read it some more before you went to bed. I mean, it's okay. You don't just have a quiet time and God through with you. See you tomorrow. No, that starts your day of fellowship with the Lord. And see, that, that's why it's so important in the morning to get started because now as I leave a quiet time, I leave praying. I, I, I jot down some thoughts. Sometimes there's a thing that I want to pray over that day. And sometimes I'll jot down notes. Maybe I don't think about what I read that morning anymore that day, but I think about other things. And as I go through the day, just having fellowship with God. Then I try to review verses. I try to keep my verses with me so that when I have odd moments, you know, I can stop at a red light and review four verses. And so you pull it out. Sometime during the day, I'll review a verse or two. I won't get through all of those. And here's one of the ways I, I brought this tonight. Here's one of the primary ways I review now. I have these on thick paper. And this happened to be day, starting with day 19, started with Romans 6.23. And I, there's a health club near our house. And uh, so uh, while I'm on that treadmill, I try to spend 50 minutes on that thing. And so I put this up here. And I usually take about at least four. Uh, I have to take two sheets every day to get through. Because if I'm going to get through my verses that I know, I have to do the front and back of two sheets and if I could do that every day, I'd get through the verses that I know. I don't always do that. Sometime I'll, but I tried during that time. And while there are three or four TVs up there and everybody's looking at that and, you know, doing whatever. Well, I have this in front of me. And while I'm trying to stay alive, I, I review my verses. I mean, it's, I've never learned to love the treadmill. I mean, some people love to jog. You know, it's not loving jogging that helps you. It's jogging that helps you. <laughs> I learned that years ago. Some people love it. And there's times when I've liked it. I don't think I've ever fallen in love with it for a long period of time. I appreciate the people that do. But, you know, I, I put that up there. Now, sometimes I put my ear deals in. And if I can watch if something happens. I, I have it turned off, but something exciting happens. Well, I can turn it on and listen to it for a minute. But that's one way to review my verses. Now, one of the reasons I started doing this, too, as a Baptist, sometimes you have to attend some dull meetings. I mean, when you're in leadership with some things. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, and while dull things are going on and people have their papers, well, I got my paper, too. <laughs> and I can review but this is, this is one of the ways I review. I've, I've got my cards, and I've got this. But anyway, that's free, but that might help you. <clears throat> so concentrate on having a daily time with the Lord, getting your life started that way. And then are you consistently memorizing and reviewing, reviewing the Scriptures? <clears throat> Job 23, 12. Neither have I gone back from the command of his lips. I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, I've noticed we eat pretty well around here. I don't think anybody's missing meals, okay? But what about feeding your soul on the word of God? And Job says, 
Neither have I gone back from the command of his lips. I've sustained the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You know, I read of some guys in college that had this rule. No Bible, no breakfast. You know, that'll get you having your quiet time. And <laughs> Don't eat. If you don't have your quiet time, you don't get to eat. <clears throat> and in Job 15, 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. And I can't tell you sometimes just the joy, even this afternoon, as I try to review some verses, just when I get those verses, just the joy that sometimes in reading, reviewing over them and seeing the great truths of God. See, what you're trying to do is get the truths of God imprinted in your mind so that at any time the Holy Spirit can bring it to your mind when you need it to use in your life or the life of anyone else. And so that's, that's one of the great reasons to get the truths of God in your life. You're constantly bombarded in this culture with things that are not what God says is best for you. And so the only way you're going to uh, stay on track is to know what God said. Like, for example, why do I believe what I believe about abortion? Well, I don't know in the Bible where he, where he just mentions a word and talks about it, but they're principles. And I want what I believe coming out of the Word of God. Why do I believe what I believe about homosexuality? It's because of what the Bible says. I know what our culture says, but I think it's dead wrong. It will not lead to freedom. If all of a sudden everybody became homosexuals in 100 years from now, there wouldn't be anybody around, right? Because they don't reproduce. And there's a lot of other problems with it, but anyway, that's one of them. So we don't hate them. We love them. But we're not going to come to the point where we agree with that. And I hope you don't if you stand on the Word of God. And it's not that something's wrong with you. It's because you know what the Word of God says. And that ought to be true in every area of life. I want to know what the Bible says, because that's what I stake my life on. Okay? Now, are you avoiding sin and resisting Satan? <clears throat> James 1, 12 through 15. Blessed is a man that endures temptation. Endures temptation. You're going to have temptation. How do you do with temptation? Blessed is a man that endures temptation. For when he is tried... He will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those that love Him. So if you resist the temptation, you're going to receive a crown of life. And he said, But let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does He tempt any man with evil. Now, a certain situation may come into your life, and God may use that to test you, and Satan will use it to tempt you. Maybe the same event, but God does not tempt you to do evil. <clears throat> but every man, when he is tempted, <clears throat> is drawn away of his own lust. And when lust is conceived, when you have lust and that's conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And so... Temptation has to be resisted. And so these thoughts are going to come into your mind. You're going to see things that you shouldn't see. And so you always have to resist temptation. I will not do that. I don't have to sin. 1 Corinthians 10.31 or 1 Corinthians 10.13, there's no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted above your ability to resist. That is, if you will look to Him and trust Him. Okay? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> resist the devil. And 1 Peter 5, 8 said, He walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom He may devour. So He's always looking, seeing what kind of trap can He set <clears throat> that will trap you. And so, so be careful. You want to resist Him. Resist the devil, the Bible says, and He will flee from you. Now, <clears throat> We're going to talk about meeting with people. We first tried to talk about your own life. The purity, the godliness, the way you live your life is so important. Because 
other people are going to begin to follow you. You're going to reproduce what you are. Dogs reproduce dogs, cats reproduce cats. And if Christians, you're going to reproduce the kind of Christian you are. Over a period of time, people around you, if you're ministering to them, they're going to become more and more like you. Now, there's two aspects when you're meeting with a person. The first is the relational aspect, and you build on that relational part. When a person first comes, let's suppose I'm meeting with this student, and we've set aside an hour, and he comes in, and I immediately say, well, today I want to talk to you about your finances, and blah, 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 blah. Well, he may have just gotten a call from his dad that his mother has cancer. He's not going to hear anything I say. So you don't start that way. You start with a relationship. Hey, how are things are going? I know you had a test. How did that go? And you begin to talk. Is there anything, any question? Maybe he's been trying to witness to somebody who has a question. So you want to be sure and give him some time to, to build that relationship. But that's not all you do. Like, for example, a number of years ago, we had some students to go to, to Cambodia. <clears throat> there were... There were uh, three from OU and seven from Oklahoma Baptist University and immediately uh, there was an uprising there and they had to put windows, mattresses over their windows and they could hear gunshots outside and the mission board said, you get on a plane as quick as you can and get out of there. So they came back and some of our students, they were disappointed because they didn't get to do what they wanted to do. So after they graduated, three of them went back as journeymen. And I was over there a couple of times, and they, they had a phenomenal ministry. When they got to Nam Pen, they knew of two Christians. And I was over there sometime later, and they had 40. And I was in a worship service, just much like our worship service here. And I mean, they had students growing. Well, a number of years later, I was over there. And by the way, out of that, those three, all three of them are missionaries somewhere today. But... A number of years later, I was over there, and I talked to some of the students, the Cambodian students, and it was evident they really weren't growing. They weren't memorizing verses. They weren't having a quiet time. And so I went to the, the, the missionary journeyman girl. She didn't come from OU, but she came from another campus in our state. And I asked her, because I, I could see she wasn't really training the students. I said, can I ask you something? I said, when you were back in the States, did you meet with your Baptist student director? She said, oh, yeah. We met every week for, th for two years. And uh, I said, what did you do during that time? She said, oh, we just chit-chatted. We talked about this and we talked about that. Well, they, they built a relationship, but there's more to discipling than just chit-chatting and talking about the weather, and talking about the ball game, and this type of thing. You build on that relationship, but then you want to impart some information. You're going to try to help that person with some biblical truths. And so <clears throat> you build on the relationship. You're always building on that. And Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, <clears throat> So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. So a person is not a project. You love that person. And that's one thing I, I so enjoy being here, just to see the love that you have and the love that your leaders have for you and the love that you have for your leaders. That is so such a good thing. And so you're not a project. People are trying to help you as a to grow. And then, so you, in, you cover, and we've talked about this before, cover the principle before the method. We want you to have fellowship with God. Now, one of the things that will really help you with that is having a quiet time, reading the Bible, studying the Bible. Those things will help you. And uh, so we're trying to get people to, and we're trying to help them to, to develop convictions about it. You know, uh, a belief is something that you hold. Well, I believe so-and-so, okay. But a conviction is something that holds you, see. Somebody said to Leroy Imes one time, and I mentioned him, he was, 
with the navigators, said, Leroy, you're a fanatic about scripture memory. He said, no, I'm not. No, I, I am not a fanatic concerning scripture memory. I am a wild-eyed fanatic about scripture memory. Okay? And so he had some convictions about it. So you're trying to help people to learn truths, truths from God, and then get some convictions about it. Well, you know, I know since most people believe homosexuality is okay, I, I kind of believe it's wrong. It'd be wrong for me, but, you know. Well, do you have any convictions about it? And so you want to develop convictions. You know, convictions about you, why you have your quiet time, because I want to start my day with fellowship with God. One of the things, like I sit around a table with you and you ask questions. Well, verses come to my mind. I've shared a few with you around the table, right? See, because you ask questions. What I think is not really that important. What does God think? And I want you to know where I get my thoughts. And so that's one of the reasons. See, gang, I can't tell you how important it is to get the word in your mind because you don't know. And some of you, you don't know where God's going to put you in the future. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't think I've shared this here. Did I tell you about my time in, in Romania when Ceausescu was in control? <clears throat> One day I get this call and the guy said, Max, would you go to Romania? He said, because <clears throat> you won't be able to get in with a Bible, probably. Ceausescu was in control at the time. But he said, uh, if you'll come to the Second Baptist Church in Aradia, that was the biggest church in all of Eastern Europe at the time, as far as we know. He said, now our church, is the Second Baptist Church, is supposed to hold 700. But if you'll come, we'll get 2,000 people in there. He said, now you probably won't get, be able to get in with the Bible, but will you come? Now, I want you to know uh, that if you'll come, but you're not going to get in with the Bible, probably. So we go, and you know, they ask us at the border four questions. Do you have any guns? Do you have any drugs? Do you have any pornography? Do you have any Bibles? I thought that's strange bedfellas. <laughs> but we did get in with the Bible, but it wasn't absolute necessity. So we stand and preach it Sunday morning. Now this is the truth. This guy, his shoulder is touching the wall as he stands up and his shoulders touching this guy and his, the guy over here's shoulders touching the wall. I'm standing up on a platform here and I mean, there are people right here. I hope I don't spit on them, but I mean, here they are. And there's steps up into the balcony and there's somebody on every single step. One guy, all I can see are his feet, but he got in the building and then they opened the doors and there's some people standing around the building. I don't know if they had 2000, I know they had a batch of people. So I, I preach on Sunday morning, and then the pastor says to me, he whispers to me, he said, Max, would you and your wife, Sandra was with me, would y'all talk to the young people tonight about dating? They never get to hear anything about that. I said, we would love to. So he turns around and night, now it's Sunday night, all the young people come. I mean, they packed that place with young people. I mean, I didn't know when I went in there I was going to be speaking about dating. But we spoke about dating. And then he said, I've got about 50 guys in my church I'm trying to disciple. Said, would you meet with them when they get off work? I said, sure. He said, would you meet with them? They'll come at 5 when they get off work. I said, will they, will they eat? He said, oh, no, that, that's not what important. They'll come straight from work. And, and you speak to them from five to nine. And so I'd speak, and I was having to do it through an interpreter. And after a while, I said, you guys want to stand up, take a break? No, no, we don't take a break. You speak. We listen. And so we, we had a phenomenal time. And then he said, Max, there's some pastors that I'm trying to help disciple. Would you meet with them in the morning? I said, sure, I'll meet with them. So we would meet. I mean, I spoke, 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 spoke that week. We come back to America. A few years later, 
they contacted me again and said, would, if you would come back, we will pick 50 of the finest people in this nation, in our churches, if you'll go hide out in the mountains and spend a week with them. Now, we want you to know what we're doing is illegal. You could meet in the church because they'd always have informers. And when I was there, they said, don't ever say anything against the government. And so, but it, so it's illegal to meet anywhere outside the church. So I, they asked me if we'll come. And they said, now, Max, what you're doing is illegal. And if they catch you, we don't know what they'll do to you. Very likely, they'll just kick you out of the country. But we don't know what they'll do to you before they find out where you're from. And so we were, we happened to be uh, going up to Michigan State to speak, and so we decided we'd stop by Glen Area and just spend a day with the Lord and just pray about it. And we felt like, well, let's, let's do that. And so we come back to the BSU and said, would y'all pray for us because Sandra and I are going to go lead this camp in, in the mountains. And they said, we want to go with you. We said, this might be dangerous. They said, well, that's okay. If you're going, we want to go. So 15 of them wanted to go with us, and 15 of them did go with us. And so we rented a van in Vienna, and we drove to the border, and we act like tourists. The fact is, I borrowed a guy's tourist card. They thought we were tourists, and we had hacky sacks, and they got out acting like tourists. They put us to the front of the line, and we go in. And we get in there, they said, now, here's the deal. We're going to go up in the mountains, and you park at a certain place. Now, don't say anything because you don't look necessarily any different than we do. And so when you go by and you walk along this trail, and there'll be a man sitting on a log. And when you pass him, he will whisper and tell you where to go. Because it was kind of a park area. There weren't very many people around, but it's kind of like a place like this, but not nearly as nice, Okay. Nearly as nice. No buildings. Much. So we walk along a path, and we go by this guy, and he said, second turn right. So we go up, and here's a trail, and we go. And so we go there, and so we meet with those students, and we had a ball. And uh, it's so funny because after that, this pastor, <clears throat> Paul Negroots, came to the States, and he said, you know, Max, we looked all night for two nights some people to try to find a place we thought they certainly wouldn't find us. And I remember when we got there one day, one girl had her feet all bandaged. And I asked one of the students, I said, what happened to her? Said she got off of a train eight miles away and walked across here and said when she got here, her feet were solid blisters. None of the parents knew where they were. Because they didn't want, if the authorities came and talked to them, they couldn't reveal where they were. He said, you know, Max, we looked all night. We had some guys look all night. We found a place we thought would be very secure. And he said, you remember one day we, we were, looked through those trees and we saw a Jeep go down this road? He said, we found out later we were camping within a mile of the largest military camp in Romania. <laughs> and that's probably the safest place we could be because they thought no idiot would do that. <laughs> Well, you know, I wouldn't take anything in the world for the verses that I'd memorize to be able to share with those people. It's so funny. We did get in with the Bible. <clears throat> One, the second time, I guess, we were there, uh, we had a Bible. And my wife said, they're going to ask for that. I said, what do we do? And I said, well, don't tell them we have it. Well, what if they find it? Well, we'll deal with it if they find it. So she stood it up. Just set it down, and there's another thing sitting on the side of it. And the guy came to search the car, and he reached on this side and felt in the pocket. And on this side, he thought that was a divider, I guess. So we got in with the Bible. And, of course, when you get in with it, you leave it there for them. Anyway, I wouldn't take anything for the verses that I'd memorized to be able to share with those people. You don't know what God's going to do in the future. I didn't memorize them to do that. And by the way, I don't memorize them basically to share with you. You know, I sound hoarse most of the time because I've had two operations on my neck and I, I have one vocal cord that's partially paralyzed. Sometimes it vibrates and sometimes it doesn't. 
So I said to the doctor, what can be done about that? Well, he said, we can operate on this side and put a plug in there and push one closer to the other, maybe that'll help. And I said, let's don't do that. <laughs> but I heard my friend Gene Moore say that one time, and I, I agree with that. If God took my vocal cords tomorrow and I could never speak another word as long as I live, I'd still memorize verses. Because I primarily memorize them for my own life first. I think it's Ezekiel about 3, 10, and 11, where God said, and I think it's, uh, he said, son of dust, let my words sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. And go, then go to the ex exiles, and whether or not they will listen, tell them, this is what the Lord God said. So the first thing, let these words sink deep into your own heart first. So I memorize them, first of all, for God to use. Now, sometimes I'll memorize a verse that I think I'll use with someone else in a particular situation, but basically I memorize verses for myself. <clears throat> now, is your meeting with a person, I learned this from John Crawford. He said, every time I meet with a person, if I'm meeting with him for an hour, the very first thing I do is I hand him my verse pack and I let him check me my verses. Now, I'm, I'm meeting with a, a fellow. He had already been to seminary and he and I meet every Thursday afternoon at 3.30. He had never memorized verses, been to seminary, and it's so hard to get people a lot of times. Some of the hardest people I've found to get memorized verses are people who are in full-time Christian work. It didn't get started when they were in college. But I, I would hand him a verse, would you check me on these verses? Now, he thinks he's checking me on my verses. But you know what? It gives me a chance to preach my verses to him. Okay? So I share my verses. And then he started memorizing. And first, I mean, the first week we met after that, it was pitiful. I mean, he just slaughtered that verse. But you know, the last time we met, we've been meeting that about four weeks. I mean, he's nailing it. He's learning it. He's getting it. So now we share our verses together. That way, you're encouraging that person and you're seeing that they're memorizing verses. And then we, I get him reading the same thing in the quiet time I've done, and then we talk about what we've read for the past week. See, part of what I'm trying to get him to do is to feed himself. Because the day's going to come, he's not going to be around me. I want him to start feeding himself. So... Now he hands me his verse pack and I check him and we take a few minutes to, to share our verses together. And that's, that is very, very helpful. This helps me and it's helpful to him. The other day I noticed I was saying the kingdom of God and he said, no, it's the kingdom of heaven. Oh, okay. And so it, it just helps me. And so we get to share and talk about those verses. So you're trying to help him to begin to take some initiative for his growth. One thing, sometime I may ask him. I gave him one of my little books, and I said, then read this, and we'll talk about it. Now, you see what I'm doing? I may be home that night. My wife and I might even be watching a movie. But he's over reading that book. And so you're trying to get them to begin to do something for their own growth. See, if a person is just like a, you know, a little baby bird, he opens his mouth and Mama bird feeds him. Well, we got a lot of people in the church like that. They just come on Sunday morning. Here I am. Bless me if you can. And they're not doing anything for their own growth. And so we're trying to get people. It's like a, a baby. First, you feed the baby, and you just teach him how to use a spoon. And he goes this way, and it goes all down the front. No, you don't do it this way. You do come this way. And see... You teach him, get him to the point where he can feed himself. And you raise your children so the day comes. You don't want people living in your basement when they're 30. Get up, grow up, go get married and have your own family. But don't hang around me, see? You're trying to get people where they're independent of you. And so I want this person to begin to do something for his own growth. And so I may give him a little assignment. One of the great things, and it's listed here at the back, is discipleship library. I might say, <clears throat> and see, sometimes I'm gone. Maybe you're meeting with a student and one week you have to be out of town. Some say, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to discipleship library and I want you to listen to Born to, Re Born to Reproduce by Dawson Trotman. Take notes on it and when we get together, let's talk about it. So you're trying to get them to take some initiative for their own growth. <clears throat> now, 
There are five principles in teaching anything, okay? The bottom, tell him why. If I'm trying to get him ver to memorize verses, I tell him why. You want to get the Word of God in your life, so you tell him why, show him how. So I have little cards here. You can write this verses on cards. You tell him why, show him how, get him started. So we'll take 1 Corinthians 1, 9 or some verse. We'll write it up, get him started, and then I check up on him. I want to see how he's doing. Next time, did you learn that verse? See? And then once he gets it down, then you want him to be able to reproduce that. And, and we pass it on. And, and that's true of anything you're trying to teach. Tell them why, show them how, get them started, keep them moving, and teach them to reproduce it. Okay, flip over. Three God-given means to aid our development. One is large group meetings. Take advantage of large group meetings. That's what this is. That's what church is. That's what conferences are. That's what challenge is, or BCM, or wherever you are. Take advantage of the large meetings. And then small group meetings. It may be Sunday school. maybe a group Bible study. Uh, maybe your little team meeting. But small groups. See, the large group is good for worship, right? If there were 10 people more here, it wouldn't have taken away from our worship. A large group is good for worship. It's good for teaching. It's good for some fellowship, especially before and after. The small group is much better for sharing. You can ask questions. See, in the Sunday morning service, pastor's preaching, and you, don't ask, you can't ask a question. There's a man who was a very famous Christian, written a number of books, and one time he spoke, a, a buddy of mine took his friend to hear this guy spoke, and he spoke on the family altar. So my buddy saw him the next week and said, what do you think of that sermon? He said, oh, I thought that was great, but he said, I've looked all around my house, and I don't see where we can build one of those things. And he had been down to Mexico or somewhere and seen a big altar, and he said, my friend said, you know, sometimes these people don't speak where we're going. You know what he's talking about? He was talking about your time with God. And you know, you've been at my house. You've seen that old big overstuffed chair? That's my family altar. That's where I meet with God. He said, is that what he was trying to say? And I thought he heard the whole sermon and missed it. Okay? So, anyway, that's free also. <clears throat> But in a small group, you can ask questions. The small group is much better for sharing, much better for learning. You can talk about it. You know, I love our small time around the tables. People ask questions, we get to talk, we get to share. And so the small group is much better for sharing. And then the one-on-one, -on -one, or one-on-two. Sometimes a leader may meet with two of you, or may meet with one of you. That is much better for building. Because one-on-one, -on -one, you can really get to the issue. You can ask, uh, he can deal especially with your problems, and you can ask your questions. You want all three of those in your life, okay? <clears throat> now, uh, let me tell you a story. A guy came to, a friend of mine, who this guy has been with the Navigators many years. His name is Jim White. And this college student moved into Norman, he had heard of Jim White, so he came to Jim White and said, will you disciple me? And Jim said, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, are you coming to church on Sunday morning? He said, no, a lot of times I sleep in. He said, are you going to the Baptist Student Union for the Thursday night meetings? And, well, no, I don't, I don't make that. He said, I've been a time or two. He said, well, the, are, are you in a small group Bible study or anything? And he said, no. He said, well, when you get all you can get out of that, then come to me and I might be willing to meet with you. In other words, sometimes they're just people and they don't want to do anything, just come and will you? I, I just want to meet with you because you're the leader and, and, and it be, gives me a little bit of a status if I can be meeting with a staff member. And I'm not going to do anything, but bless me if you can. And now to say, no, are you, are you getting what you can get out of other sources as well? And so we, we need to learn. And so therefore, I want to be in church and I want to be open minded. I want to learn from my pastor. I go to Sunday school. You know, I go on Sunday night. Our church has Sunday night. I wish they didn't, but I'm an elder and they have it, so I'm there on Sunday night. Okay? So, you know, I just make some choices. 
You know, Paul had rocks thrown at him. Or I've got certain afflictions also, some meetings that I have to attend sometime. Now, it's not, it's not a bad thing on Sunday night at our church because our pastor studies the Word and has something to say. He's a godly man. And I learn from him, and I, I appreciate that. So <clears throat> now when you're discipling a person, one of the things you want to be sure of is, first of all, that they know the Lord. And uh, you know what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. <clears throat> uh, and this, this is basically the content of the gospel. He died for our sins. He rose again. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Okay? That is the gospel. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. And so you want to make sure that they understand that and that they know the Lord. And uh, there's some verses for you. John 3.16, Ephesians 2.8 and 9. And deal with assurance of salvation. See, 1 John 5.13 says that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? It says, it doesn't mean wish or think or hope. You can know you have eternal life. Now, how do you know? We'll go back to the two verses before. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God does not have life. Do you have the Son? Do you have Jesus in your life? If you do, you have eternal life. You cannot have Jesus without having eternal life. You cannot have eternal life without having Jesus. It's all wrapped up in Jesus, okay? So you want to make sure, and that's the way you, the assurance you have. I know I have eternal life because I have Jesus, all right? And so you want to make sure they know the Lord and then emphasize the importance of baptism and the church. Uh, you know, that's what Jesus told us to do. And you know, one of the things, when you're in a group like this, and I've known of people that have been in, maybe they've been in some parachurch group, and uh, they're really down on the church. I know a guy, he said, I don't even want my people going to church, and I think that is a giant mistake. Now, the church has two forms, the local church, and then you see in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereto I've called them. Then they go out and they're gone for about two years. They're not really that much under the influence of that church because they didn't have good communications. So they are a part of the church. Christian challenge, you are a part of the church. Now, go to a local church, but occasionally I run into pastors. I don't know if there's anything like this in California, but there's some in Oklahoma that think the only thing's important is a local church. You know, if we all went out of existence, they'd be happy. But do you know why we're in existence? Because a number of years ago, Southern Baptists decided, you know, we have these students, we have some of them raised in our churches their whole life, they go away to college, and we're losing them. So they said, we need somebody out there working with them during the week. So they started Baptist Student Union, or Christian Challenge. Now, even though they started that, some people still don't like it, but I love it, okay? And we're a vital part of the church. So don't ever let anybody think, that you're not a vital part of the church as a result of being a part of this, but also be a part of a local group of believers, okay? Now, how do you find someone to disciple? Well, I kind of skipped a little bit here. First thing, you pray, 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 okay? And God has to give you people. And there are some verses on prayer. You need God's leadership in who you disciple. Remember what... <clears throat> Jesus said in John 17, 6, in his prayer he's, to his father, he said, I have manifested your name to these men, the men that you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. You know where we get people to disciple? God gives them to us. Now, you may not have that real sense because you just pray and you try to find somebody. But God has to bring you the people that he wants you to disciple. So don't leave God out of that. That's why you pray and pray. And you're looking for interest and hunger. <clears throat> you're looking for hunger. Does this person have, is he hungry? That's one of the things you're always looking for. And here are some verses and things that might help you. And then <clears throat> spend time 
doing things together, growing as a Christian. And I, I mentioned this here especially. A lot of times for older men, maybe they want to disciple someone after you get out of school. You may be in a church and you see somebody. You don't just go to him and say, hey, do you want me to disciple you? He might say, well, who do you think you are? I've been a Christian as long as you have. But you may go to someone and sometime it may start with, hey, I see you at church here all the time and I know you have an interest in God. I do too. Would you be interested in us just getting together maybe an hour a week just to pray and talk and maybe read the Bible together? And you begin to do that and you might find somebody has to give leadership to that. And sometimes that's one of the ways you find somebody you can begin to disciple. But it starts with more of a brotherhood that let's, let's get together and share. And then you're the one that has something began to share and he begins to learn from you. So that may be one of the ways sometimes once you get out of school, you find people. And so you want to grow together. So we've talked down here about discipling others. Uh, Help him understand the place of the Holy Spirit in his life. You know, we talked about that this morning, that he is indwelt by the Spirit. And, uh, you know, Galatians 4, 6 is a great verse. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your heart. Because you're Christians, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our heart, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And that's, that word just means like Daddy. God, you're my intimate, precious Father, just like you would call someone your Father. And so because you're, because you're Christians, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son to live in your heart. Now, so we try to help Him understand His position in Christ. Okay? You're a new creation. You used to live a certain way, but once you become a Christian, you're a new, Christ, new creation. You don't have to live that way. Sin no longer dominates your life. If you will yield to the Lord, you don't have to sin like that. And John 15, 4 and 5, where Jesus said, Abide in me. And that whole thing of living in the Spirit is the idea of living and trusting the Holy Spirit of God, trusting Jesus, living in Him. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, no more can you, unless you abide in me. And so we want to live our lives depending on them. Help him understand how faith grows. Now let me use the illustration I heard Gene Moore use, and I'm going to change it just a little, okay? So it's not true to start with, because I had somebody, one time I shared it, and he came up and said, is that really true? So I'll tell you, start with, it's not, but I think it illustrates how faith grows. Let's suppose that just before I got up to speak, a lady that works here came in and she said, uh, because your cell phone doesn't work, we got this, this call and I left my wife the number here in case there's an emergency that she could call. And so they say, you just got a call. And, uh, so, and, and I wrote down what they wanted me to tell you. You had a distant relative in New York to pass away and left you a 27 mansion, a 20 room, 27 room mansion in New York. They have deposited $10 million in your bank account in Norman, Oklahoma, and you have inherited a 75 passenger yacht in Florida. So I show that to Neil and I think, Neil, how did you get to pull off that joke? And he said, wasn't me. Okay, Jeremy, where's Jeremy? I mean, some one of you clowns. And so, anyway, I got it written down. I think I'll have some fun. I know the teller there at my bank. So Monday I go back. I mean, when, next week I, or a couple of weeks when I get home, I go back and I, I go to the bank and I say to this teller, uh, I think I want to write a check for $10,000. She says, okay. I said, do you know how much is in my bank account? She said, no. Do you? And I pulled out my checkbook, and I said, I sure do, $35.20. She said, well, I, I don't know about that, but I know a wire came in here on, on, <clears throat> on Tuesday, and $10 million was put in your account. I said, they got you in on the joke, too, huh? 
She said, Max, you see that man over there? You know who that is? I said, well, I know he's vice president of the bank, but I don't know. She said, now you watch. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to go over and tap him on the shoulder, and I'm going to turn so you can see what I say and say, Mr. Barnett would like to see you, and I'm going to get him to come over here. So he comes over, and she says to him, would you show Mr. Barnett how much money he has in our bank? And so he gets on a deal, and he said, $10,030.20. I said, is that right? And he said, everybody in the bank's been talking about it, but $10 million was put in your account. So I held my cell phone. I called my wife, Sandra. I said, hon, pack. I said, call the airlines and get us a flight to New York City as soon as you can. She said, well, what's going on? I said, hon, just do what I ask you to do. Get us a flight tomorrow morning as quick as we can. I'll explain it all when I get home. And I explain it to her. So we go to New York. We go to this address. I go up. I ring a doorbell. This butler comes. And I said, my name is Max Barnett. He said, Mr. Barnett, come in. We've been expecting you. He said, let me introduce you to the staff. And there are five people there on the staff. You have a cook. Here's a butler. Here's a house cleaner. All of that. And he said, uh, your distant your relative paid our lifetime salary. We're here as long as you need us. We're here. And so I called him back home to the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. And I get Shane on the phone. I said, Shane, announce at the next meeting over spring break, the first 75 that sign up, we're going to Florida. I've got a 75-passenger yacht, and we're going to have a blast. Now, have I been to Florida and seen that yacht? I don't have any doubt that I have a 75-passenger yacht in Florida. Why? Because I, the first thing, I, I checked it out, and I really didn't believe it at first, but I checked it out, and it worked. And then I checked out that thing. It worked. I don't have any doubt that I'd have a flotting a uh, yacht in Florida. And see, one day, maybe you read the Bible, and it says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you heard it from a preacher. Maybe you heard it from your mom and dad or a Sunday school teacher. But you asked Jesus came come in your life, and what happened? He came in. And then, you know, you prayed about something else, and you, saw, you asked God to lead you about something, and you saw God do that. And then you see another promise of God, and you think, okay, God, I believe that. And that's the way your faith grows, is that you, you read the Bible, you have experiences with that, you see another promise of God, you trust God, you see that at work, and over a period of time then, as a result of that, your faith really grows, okay? <clears throat> All right, let's go to the last page, and we will get out of here before midnight. Again, and we say this again and again and again, you emphasize the importance of fellowship with God. If you can get them fellowshipping with God, get them where God can speak to them, using the word, quiet time, scripture memory, Bible reading, study, prayer, obedience, application. That's what you're trying to build in the life of that person. You want to warn them of, of dangers ahead, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And there are some verses on that that will help you. Satan is always in opposing us, as I mentioned. And if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. You don't want to love the things of this world. Use the things of the world, but don't love the things of this world. Now, that doesn't mean that if you have ability to make money, make money. And love God, and if you can, and you have a chance to make a lot of money, make a lot of money. And then use it for the glory of God. You meet your own needs. You enjoy some of it. But you also have a great opportunity to use it. So you want to warn people because a lot of people fall in love with money. That'll be one thing. The different idols. Some people love sports so much that they spend so much time with it. Let me tell you one of the things that your generation faces. Now, don't think I'm against this. I am not against your technology. But a lot of you spend a whole lot more time on this smartphone 
with social media and all that than you do fellowshipping with God. And some of you, you know, you spend more time, you know, saying what time somebody went to bed or somebody did this or they went to this movie or their dog got sick or just a bunch. A lot of it is a bunch of useless stuff and far more time on that than you do praying, witnessing, reading your Bible or working on your verses. And let me tell you, for some of you, it is an idol. It is an idol. I mean, if suddenly you had to be without your phone for a few days, I mean, you'd go into tremors. So be careful. Don't let it. Let it. It's a great tool, but don't let it become too important. Okay? Understand that? Now, am I against technology? No. I have a smartphone. But I'm a dumb person, okay? Help them learn to witness. Help them learn to manage their time. And that's what, exactly what we're talking about right now. Guys, your life is going to get by faster than you ever believe. Somebody said to Billy Graham, Billy, what has surprised you about life? He said, how quickly it gets by. And I, I can't believe I stand here and I'm 81 years of age. And I can remember so clearly some things that happened back in college and I don't know what went with the time. Life gets by. And you, so I remember Lila Trotman saying one time, whatever you're planning to do, you better get after it. And that's right, because time is fast getting away. And the psalmist prayed, Psalms 90 verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Psalm 39, 4, Lord, make me to know uh, the measure of my days that I may know how fleeting my life is. And the Bible in James 4.14 uh, says, Your life is just like a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. You know, you may notice this someday. You look out here in the fog and then the sun comes out and it's gone. Or you go out on a cold day and you go, <laughs> just blow your breath on, the, on, on a cold morning and watch it and then it's gone. He said, that's what your life is like. Now, you know, your life is not even that long compared to eternity. When you think about it, we have a brief, brief split second compared to eternity to live here. You know, a couple of illustrations. Uh, one old preacher kept trying to think, how can I illustrate how long eternity is? So he, one day he came up with this illustration. If you could take a steel ball the size of the earth and put it out in space, and then you take a little sparrow and let the little sparrow fly out to that steel ball, and let's say it took him a thousand years to get there, and when he got there, he barely brushed the tip of his beak against that steel ball, started his thousand-year flight back to earth. He had a good night's sleep, started on his thousand-year flight back. By the time that sparrow had worn that steel ball down to the size of a grain of sand, eternity would only be beginning. See, we read words like everlasting and eternal. We have no concept of how long that is. You know, you could, if I could take a marker and start around that wall and go all around the world and come back and dot it and then say, you take one little marker and go put one dot on that line, that's kind of like what your life is like compared to eternity. Only I could go around the world as many times as you wanted to. Let me tell you, folks, our time here is brief. Eternity is long. And everybody you know, every professor, every single person at USC is sometime going to be, spend eternity in heaven or hell. Those are the only two options. And if they do not know Jesus, they will be separated from him for eternity. Now, you've got one life. So make the most of it. <clears throat> now, help him understand the difference between discipline and legalism. <clears throat> We've talked about that before. Legalism is trying to earn favor with God by what you do or you not, do not do. <clears throat> discipline is doing what you ought to do because you ought to do it. Love people and never give up on them. You know, maybe here's somebody you're trying to disciple and they're not really coming along. Maybe you don't need to meet with them, but you don't, can, you don't quit loving them. You remember John Mark? They were on their first missionary journey, and he left them. And historians tell us that all up through those hills, that they went up through Antioch, Pisidia, and up through that area, that it was infested with robbers. And they said even the mighty Roman army was never able to get that area completely cleared. 
And so probably he had some fear. So he went home. We don't know why, but whatever it was, Paul didn't think it was a good enough reason. So he's, when they started on his missionary journey, the second missionary journey, Paul didn't want to take him. And so he and Mark had a disagreement. I think God used both. Barnabas took Mark. Paul took Silas. But years later, the last letter Paul wrote, he said, send John Mark, for he's profitable with me for the ministry. Now, here's a guy that didn't do so well, but later turned out well. Here was Demas, and in three different letters, Paul mentions Demas. And yet, in the last letter he wrote, he said, Demas has forsaken me. So don't give up on people. You love them. Maybe you don't decide them, but don't burn the bridge. I know some guys, a time or two, I wanted to choke them, you know, throw them out the window. But later, I saw they came around. God began to do a work in their life, and we're buddies today. So love people. Don't give up on them. <clears throat> now, let me say this, and then I, I'm, I'm through. Uh, as you begin to build these basics into their life, then they're going to be able to reproduce it in the lives of others. Uh, let me just say goodbye to you tonight because Neil and I got to get up about 5 in the morning. I've got to be in Louisiana. I appreciate you praying for a men's retreat where I'll be speaking a couple of times. And then Sunday, fly to Colorado. We have our spring break conference. So you can pray for the OU students next week because they're in a retreat kind of like you, and they're, needy, they're a needy bunch, okay? So we'll be there. And so I want you to know it's been a joy to be with you, and uh, I'll be praying for you. I love you. I love your leadership, I think one of the great ministries, I really believe this, and I tell people this all the time, I think one of the great things that God's doing is at the University of Southern California through Challenge. And uh, I wish we could change our name to Challenge. I've talked with our state leader three times about that. I'm going to keep talking to him. I'd love to change it to that. Because you call Baptist Student Union. I told him eight out of ten kids will walk by that and think that's not for me. Okay, so it's been fun. Let me pray for you, and then uh, we're through. And Father, thank you for our time together. Of all the people in the world, you've allowed all of us to spend this time together. Father, there are people in the world that give anything if they could openly have fellowship. But some of them, if they did that, they might be going to prison. They may lose their lives. Father, we have brothers and sisters around the world who are going through great persecution. We want to pray for them. Pray, Lord, for their clinging to you and trusting you. Pray, God, you would mightily use them, even in their bad situations, that they'd be You'd be using them to draw people to yourself. And so, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Now, let me mention one thing to you. I want to say one thing about the books, and it's not just about the books. But you know, it'll amaze me sometime that a student will go pay $8 for, for a pizza that he really doesn't need. And they wouldn't invest in a book or something that they, they could use and read. It's not my book. I'm talking about any book. I'm amazed at how sometimes we are not thinking about what's best for our lives, okay? Now, God bless you, and I hope you all have a great time. You're going to enjoy Bob Anderson, okay? And uh, anything that I messed up, you just ask him, and he'll straighten it out for you, okay? <laughs>